Jesus' prayer life. And we've had some studies now, again, uh, solitary prayer, that, that alone time, beginning things in prayer, all-night prayer. And, and this morning, we're going to look at another time for prayer, and that's at mealtime. Now, you might think mealtime is prayer time. Well, as always, we're going to look at Jesus' example, and we're going to see um, the times that he prayed, uh, the conditions he prayed in, and what he was going through, and a lot of the symbolism. But there are four different times that Jesus prayed that's recorded in the scriptures, and we're going to look at those four instances. And there are, there are various texts for each one, so we don't have a particular text, so we'll read them as we go along. But mealtime is prayer time, and that's what I entitled the message. Because in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, verse 11, Jesus taught us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus also blessed the food and then gave thanks for it when he fed the 5,000. Also when he instituted the Lord's Supper. So as a result, Christians all over the world make it their regular practice to pray a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving before they eat their meals. Now, to have a meal, to eat, okay, so that we can continue to live for God's glory, that's a holy time. That's a holy moment. Paul said, if it's received in faith. He said, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Meal time is prayer time because it's a time for prayer. In other words, it's our usual practice, or it should be, to pray before we start eating to thank God for the food that he's provided. This instance of, of Jesus praying isn't just a one-time incident, but it's a combination of the different times that we find Jesus praying in the scriptures before meals. Scripture tells us about four different times when Jesus gave thanks for the food before it was eaten. First, there was the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Second, there was the feeding of the 4,000, the miraculous feeding of the 4,000. Third, there was a meal eaten as a memorial meal, which was the Passover meal that was eaten with the disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified. And then the fourth meal was the meal where Jesus was the mystery guest where it was eaten on the day of the resurrection of Christ with the two on the road to Emmaus. And as we read the different passages for each of these mealtimes, we'll see two words that are used to describe the prayers that were made at these mealtimes. The words are blessed and thanks. Blessed and thanks. The word blessed is used six times in the different passages. And the word thanks is used eight times. There's no contradiction or inconsistency in any way in the use of these two words because they refer to the same thing. We often use these words interchangeably when referring to the prayer before mealtime. And sometimes we'll ask a person to give thanks or we'll ask the person to uh, ask the blessing uh, for the food or to say grace, which we'll see how, how that comes about in just a little while. The word translated blessing means to speak well. 
It means to praise, okay, to speak well of something or to praise. Uh, It's made up of two Greek words. The first word is EU, which means well. And the second word is logia, which means word. You put EU together with logia, and it's where we get the English word eulogy, which means to speak well of somebody, which is usually done at a funeral. The word translated thanks means to be grateful. It means to consecrate a thing by giving thanks. So it's from the Greek word eucharistia. Now, in the middle of the word eucharistia, you find the word charis, the Greek word for grace. That's where we get, we end up saying grace at mealtimes as well. This is very significant because sometimes, like I said, we ask the blessing or we give thanks for the food. And what we're doing, we are saying grace. We're thanking God for his grace that we have something to eat. The word is given us our English word Eucharistic, or I'm sorry, Eucharist, which to the Roman Catholics, that refers to the elements that they use in their mass. So the first meal we're going to look at that we find Jesus praying at is the miracle meals. That is those meals that were that were multiplied miraculously to feed the 5,000 and the 4,000. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is giving thanks before the meal. It's when he fed the 5,000, and we see it recorded in in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we see it in the feeding of 4,000 in Matthew 15 and in Mark 8. Because of the situations, because they're practically the same for the Thanksgiving prayer of the 5,000 and 4,000, in each case, we're going to look at them together. We're going to look at the focus, first of all, of this miraculous meal, the focus of the giving of thanks. Matthew 4.19, it says that he, Jesus, commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed the meal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel all mention that in praying before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked up to heaven. Here's the focus. The focus in the giving of thanks is in the look of the one, which was Christ here, who's praying. Jesus, looking upward to heaven, showed that he was giving thanks to God for the food. Thanking God is basic, not only in our food, but everything that God does for us and and everything that we have. The Talmud, which is the central text of, of rabbinical Judaism and the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish theology, says this. He that enjoys ought, which means anything, he that enjoys ought without thanksgiving is as though he robbed God. We need to honor God by acknowledging God and letting him know, Lord, I recognize that you are my primary source of blessing. And there are times when we should thank men as well. But first and foremost, we must give thanks to God for our blessings. The second thing that we see about this particular meal that Jesus uh, prayed uh, in the 5,000, the 4,000, he prayed fearlessly and unembarrassed in giving the thanks. Jesus practiced the honorable habit of giving thanks in front of huge crowds, multitudes, thousands of people. Okay, in the first crowd, there were 5,000. And you know what? That's not counting the women and the children. There could have easily been 10, 15,000 people. In the second crowd, there was 4,000 men besides the women and children. So there could have been easily eight to 12,000 people. 
This shows us that Jesus wasn't afraid. He wasn't embarrassed to pray in public. He wasn't afraid to pray in front of people and give thanks for the meals. You know, we need to practice in public the habit of giving thanks for our food when we sit down to eat. You see, if God blesses us in public, we should acknowledge it in public. You see, if we're able, if we can afford to go out to a restaurant that we like and we can buy a meal and enjoy that meal there, you know, we should thank him for it. Thank you, for, thank you, Lord, for my job. Thank you that I have a check. Thank you that I have the funds to go out and enjoy this meal with my wife and my family or, or wherever it might be. But it's really surprising how many professing Christians sit down to eat, but they don't thank God for what they have. And if they're with family or friends that aren't saved and they just go about eating without giving God thanks, what kind of a testimony is that? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though Paul, you know, even though Paul said, hey, you know, I, I know I, I've, I've been in prison. I was in prison in Philippi. I was chased out of Thessalonica. I was smuggled out of Damascus and Berea. I was laughed at in Athens. And they considered me a fool in Corinth. And I was said to be a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem. But you know what? I was never put off by their opposition. I was never discouraged by criticism and I was never ashamed for any reason of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he said in 2 Timothy 1.8, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And that's just another way of doing it. Let us not be embarrassed. Let us not be afraid. Let us not shy away when we're eating out in public when it comes to giving thanks to the Lord. You are a witness when you give thanks in public. And are we not called to be witnesses in any way that we can? Yeah, we are. Now, you might be with some people who aren't used to giving thanks before eating. And if that's the case, you know what? Don't hesitate to maybe show them for the first time, introduce them to the habit of praying and honoring God before eating a meal. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess my fa- before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know if what Jesus said here in, in this particular verse would cover our failure to acknowledge God's blessings in public will cause us to face the problem of not being acknowledged in heaven. But if you're embarrassed to give thanks for your meal and you refuse to thank him, don't be surprised if God in return holds back blessings from you. It's an insult to our God not to thank him, the one who provides for every good gift and every perfect gift which comes from above down from the Father of lights. The third thing that we see in this in these miraculous meals is Jesus gives he gave thanks In faith, think of that. He had a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. And he's preparing to feed thousands of people. And he begins to give thanks. Well, wait a minute. What are you giving thanks for? You only got a few fish and a few bread. Don't you think you ought to wait until, you know, you have it in hand before you give thanks to God? Again, this is the, the, the illustration of praying in faith. Believing and praying in faith. 
When Jesus gave thanks for the food in both of these miraculous feedings of the huge crowds, he gave thanks before the food was multiplied. He didn't wait first to see if God would multiply the loaves. He knew he would multiply the loaves and fishes before he gave thanks. He gave thanks when all he had was just a few fish and a few loaves. But you know what? He gave thanks by faith that God would provide. Now, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to read a book called George Mueller of Bristol, His Life of Prayer and Faith. It is one of the most amazing books I have ever read about somebody who lived seriously by prayer. George Mueller, who wanted, who felt led by God, after he got saved, to start an orphanage. He had several by the time he died. But George Mueller of Bristol, he prayed, asking God to provide a building, Now, you think that's enough. No, he prayed for a building. He prayed for the people to oversee it. He prayed for the furniture. He prayed for the money, for the food, and he prayed for the clothing. Guess what? God answered his prayers. And the needs of the orphanage were met each day for many years. Sometimes a wealthy person would send a large amount of money. Or a child would give a small amount that they received as a gift or for doing chores. Many times food, supplies, or money came at the last minute. And we all know how God likes to wait till the last minute. But God always provided without George Mueller telling anybody what he needed. All through his ministry, all through his life, he never let anybody know what he needed. He went to God. He just prayed and waited on God. And here's one of those beautiful examples. It says, one morning the children were dressed and ready for school. But the householder informed George George Mueller that there was no food for them to eat. George, George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. And he thanked God for the food and waited. George Mueller knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said. Last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and I baked three batches of bread for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George Mueller if he could use some free milk. George Mueller smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk and it was enough to, just enough for the 300 thirsty children. This was the story of George Mueller's ministry all the time that he was part of it. Amazing. And here's something else that he said that I believe this is is how we get to this point of waiting and trusting in God for everything. He said, fluctuations in income and apparent prosperity did not take George Mueller by surprise. He expected fluctuations in his income. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great. He expected them. Here's why. He said, because if there were no crises and critical emergencies, how could there be critical deliverances? In other words, if we didn't have any problems, how would we know that God could solve them? It's a part of God's plan for our life and our growing in faith. His trust was in God, not in donors or human friends or worldly circumstances. His trust was in Almighty God. And it's, again, it's incredible reading. It'll, it's just 
again, it's a real boost in, in, in praying by faith and, and waiting upon the Lord. So, again, I'd encourage you to read it. So, uh, again, uh, Jesus, uh, God, Paul said, remember, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's the same today. It was the same in Paul's day. It was the same even before Paul's day. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. A lot of people are always looking at what they don't have. The few fish and the few bread. This is all I have, Lord. Rather than thanking God for all that they have, which might be just a few loaves and a few fish. You know, we, we, we don't thank God for what we have. You know, and if we don't thank God for what we have, why is he going to give us more? You know, we're not appreciative for the things that we do have. This attitude shows a spirit of unthankfulness. This attitude won't see any miraculous uh, multiplication. It won't see any miraculous multiplying. It won't get to see the multiplication of the little that you do have enough to cover all of your needs. Be thankful for what you have. And you know what? You'll have more. God is not in the habit of blessing people with more who aren't thankful for what he's already given them. If we would give thanks for what we have, rather than complaining about what we don't have, we'd get a lot, along a lot better in life. And we'd find out that, that we have all that we need. That we, and that what we do have will increase sufficiently as well. Listen to some of our uh, great men of the scriptures. Paul said in Philippians four eleven through 13, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. Notice, I have learned. How do we learn? Through experiences. Through the experiences that God gives us in life. The trials, the times of prosperity and the times of leanness. Paul said, I have learned how to, uh, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. I have learned both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Hebrews tells us, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall not lack anything needful for me. Psalm 34, 9 and 10, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any, no, it's good thing, not everything, you shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Notice the condition, uprightly. Praying in faith, walking with God, he promised to supply all of our needs. Now, the second meal we're going to look at is the memorial meal. This was the Passover meal. This was the great memorial meal of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, which Jesus ate with the disciples the night before he was crucified. Now, four references are made to this particular meal and the thanks that Jesus gave at this meal. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. This particular meal involves suffering by Jesus. You see, the things that took place in the upper room that went along with his Passover meal, there were very painful events for Jesus. The betrayal of Judas was about to take place. And Jesus announced to the disciples at this particular meal that behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Not only that, 
But the disciples had been arguing over who's the greatest, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Then there was the foot washing incident. Nobody wanted to wash feet. And then in the upper room, Jesus had to tell the bragging Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. All of these things Jesus was experiencing. And on top of these already unhappy events that he was experiencing in the upper room, Jesus was all the while at this time knowingly getting closer and closer to the hour when he would become the great substitute, the Lamb of God for sinners, taking upon himself their sins and our sins on the cross at Calvary in spiritual and physical suffering of the worst kind that man has ever known. Yet, in spite of the suffering situation that Jesus was in, he could still take the time to give thanks to the Heavenly Father. What Jesus did here, man, it is definitely a rebuke to many Christians. Because when we're suffering, we're not thinking about anybody or anything but our suffering. We're usually too busy complaining about our suffering. And and why did God let this happen to me? And why isn't he answering my prayer? And on and on and on it goes. But if you want your suffering times to be victorious times, don't stop praying during those times. Plus, thanksgiving can be a great medicine for suffering. Thanking the Lord can be a great pain reliever and you don't need a doctor's prescription for it and you don't have to pay the high price to get it and there's no danger of any bad side effects in this particular way of relieving pain. Secondly, the symbolism involved in this meal of suffering in the upper room. Jesus said in Luke twenty two fifteen, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The bread and the cup that Jesus gave thanks for at the Passover meal in which he instituted the Lord's Supper were symbols of his body and blood, which were offered on Calvary in his greatest hour of suffering, which he referred to here in this verse. That is Luke twenty two fifteen. Now, the disciples weren't aware of what was coming. They weren't aware of the coming events of Calvary, so they couldn't offer Jesus any sympathy or encouragement to him. No comfort, no way to comfort him or relieve the thought of the suffering that was on the way. In spite of the powerful reminder in the bread and the cup of his suffering at Calvary, Jesus still gave thanks. His thanks had to be about the future results of Calvary, about the work of salvation that would come about because of of Calvary. What all of this teaches us is that giving thanks will help us have a better appreciation and a better respective of our trials. It will help us better see the blessed result of our trials. God's work has promised, God's word has promised that our trials will work blessings for us. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Trials are given. They are a given. They're those promises that you have in the Bible that you don't normally highlight or underline. They're not the ones that we want to remember and go, oh, yeah, I remember you promised me trials, Lord. Thank you. (laughs) We don't usually remember those. So we don't we fight against them instead of submitting to them. 
Somebody wrote, afflictions cannot injure when blended with submission. If this is God's will for me, I need to submit to it. Okay, Lord. It's painful. I'm suffering. I understand that. But you know what? Just help me to get through it. He doesn't keep us from suffering, but he will enable us to deal with it. He will enable us to get through it. Jesus knew the promise about Calvary. That it would result in souls being delivered from God's judgment due to the the grasp of sin on people's lives. And Jesus gave thanks. We can't do less when we face trials and troubles in life. The next meal we're going to look at is the mystery guest meal. The mystery guest meal. This meal took place which was, a, uh, was uh, in a place which was a small village about five miles northwest of, of Jerusalem called Emmaus. This meal took place on the day that Jesus resurrected. And at some time during that wonderful day, Jesus was walking, he came along, met, with, met these two people walking on the road to Emmaus, and he joined them. And, and, and so upon joining them, he asked them, hey, you guys, oh, uh, I notice in your conversation, you you're both sound pretty sad. What, what is it that makes you so sad that you're talking, what, you know, what, what you're talking about? And then after they answered him about their hopes and their dreams that they had in Christ, which now it seemed dashed because, you know, they heard he was crucified and buried. So whatever hopes they had in him were, were, had been dashed, at least they thought. When they got to Emmaus, as they were walking, you know, the two insisted, Jesus, why don't you, you know, why don't you stay with us and, and, and eat, eat dinner with us? You know, stay and eat a meal with us. And Jesus said, yes, okay. And at this time, at the mealtime, Jesus gave the blessing. The two, Cleopas and his wife, didn't know that the person that they were eating with at that time was Jesus, the resurrected Lord. The very same person that they had been talking about on the road. You see, his identity was still a mystery to them. They didn't know who he was at this time. And now we see what's what's interesting about this particular prayer is the initiation of the Thanksgiving prayer. Luke 24, 30 says, Now it came to pass as he, Jesus, sat at the table with them, the two on the way to Emmaus, that he, Jesus, took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Now, some people think that this breaking of bread was the observance of the Lord's Supper, but it wasn't. First of all, there was no cup mentioned here at this supper. Second, the two people at this meal were not, were not any of the 12 apostles, and only the 12 apostles had experienced the breaking of the bread in regards to the Lord's Supper. The thing that's referred to here is a regular meal where a loaf or loaves of bread are broken into pieces by the host and given to the people to eat. Now, at the feeding of the four and the five thousand, Jesus was the one who broke the bread, also broke the bread to give it to the people. But in those two cases, Jesus kept breaking the bread from the blows because they didn't lessen. They didn't decrease. They continued to miraculously multiply to feed the whole crowd. That breaking of bread or the feeding of the multitudes was definitely not the Lord's Supper. It was simply a meal furnished by Jesus to nourish the people who had been there and had been listening to him for a long time, listening to him teach. But the breaking of bread here with the two in Emmaus also refers to a simple meal to nourish somebody physically. It was just an ordinary daily meal. It was just time to eat. It was an ordinary meal. 
But the interesting thing here about this meal in Emmaus is that Jesus is the one who did the breaking of the bread. You see, he was the guest. Usually the host does that. Usually the host does the breaking of the bread and the giving of thanks. So, but here it says that he gave thanks and he blessed it. So it was Jesus who initiated the prayer of thanksgiving. So whether, whether or not Cleopas and his wife would have given the blessing, we don't know. Maybe just Jesus initiated it right away. But, you know, it, it doesn't mention whether or not Cleopas and his wife, you know, may have uh, initiated the blessing. The fact here is, is that Jesus is the one who gave the thanksgiving prayer. When we're in a group of, of people or we're in a group that, that's not probably used to praying for their food, you know, giving thanks before they eat, if, if they're not used to that, then we need to take the initiative to give the thanks and not worry about being offended. Instead, we need to be concerned about our God being offended if we don't give thanks. One of our problems today among professing Christians is that we seem to be very concerned about offending people by practicing our faith. But we don't seem to be just as concerned about offending God if we don't practice our faith. We are called to practice our faith. Secondly, we see here in this particular meal is the identification by the thanksgiving. In other words, in Luke 24, 35, it says, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They found out who he was when he broke the bread. After Jesus had prayed and broke the bread and he gave it to the two at Emmaus, they recognized who Jesus was. But then the scripture says that Jesus vanished from their sight. He miraculously vanished from their sight. After that happened, these two disciples went back to Jerusalem right away, immediately to where the remaining disciples were. And they told them about what they had just experienced and seen Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And when they told them, they said they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Now, the emphasis here about recognizing who Jesus was is usually focused on the way that Jesus broke the bread. Some say it was like what he did in the upper room and that this is what the two recognized here. But you see, these two were not in the upper room with Jesus. So that ex explanation can't fit here. We believe in the term breaking of bread that it refers to not just the actual breaking of the loaves into pieces for others to eat, but it also refers to all that Jesus did at the meal, including the giving of thanks. The breaking of bread that took place at this meal with the two from Emmaus may be encouraged here, all right? But the recognition involved more than just the breaking of bread. This recognition in their heart was probably a combination of their conversation, you know, when they were talking with Jesus before and by the giving of thanks by Jesus, as well as the way he broke the bread and passed it out. So he may have been recognized by many of the things that, that, that the two to Emmaus saw him do. Jesus blessing the food would be a distinguishing, identifying character, characteristic of Jesus. I mean, 
nobody did things the way Jesus did. Who could pray like our Lord when it came to giving thanks for a meal? Who could walk like Jesus walked? Who could talk like Jesus talked? Who, car- who could carry themselves the way Jesus carried himself? So we believe that the scripture teaches that the giving of thanks at this meal with Cleopas and his wife was just one of the characteristics that helped these two from Emmaus recognize who Jesus was. In other words, Jesus did things in such a way that you knew it was Jesus. And here's the bottom line, I would say. He lived in such a way that he was unmistakable. Are we not his children? If only we all would live in such a holy way that we would be unmistakable that we're Christians. That we belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If only we all would live in such a holy way, talk in such a holy way, carry ourselves in such a holy way that we would be recognized by the righteousness of our spiritual behavior and the things that we do every day when we're around people. Wouldn't it be great to say, man, I know you're a Christian. How do you know? I can tell by the way you walk. I can tell by the way you talk. I can tell by your countenance. You always have a joyous look on your face. You're always positive, even in the midst of so much negativity. You never have anything bad to say about anybody. You're always praising the Lord. You're always giving thanks. It would be hard to mistake somebody like that. So many times we're looking around, we've got frowns on our faces, we look like we're just carrying the world on our shoulders. We just pass by people and it's like we're in our own world. And we're, at, we're the body of Christ and we should be the happiest people on earth. And we should be displaying that to the unhappiest people on earth. Those in this world who don't know Jesus. Our Lord is unique. And that's why we are peculiar people. The Bible says we should act peculiar, not in a goofy way. (laughs) Too many times they're they're the only Christians that get interviewed by the news. Somebody did something weird. (laughs) But we should be peculiar like Jesus was in a holy and a virtuous and a righteous way. Let's pray and make that We need to remember that, first of all. We need to remember to be unmistakable. That we belong to Christ. Father, thank you so much for these these times of prayer, God. Even at mealtime, God, they, they said so much. Lord, they teach us so much. And who would think that we could learn a lot about prayer just at mealtimes, God. Lord, help us not to be embarrassed. Help us to not be ashamed, God. 
Let us not be worried about offending anybody in the, in the good way, Lord. That is just being holy and virtuous and doing the things that we're called to do as Christians, God. But we don't want to offend anybody because we're, we're mean or we have a loose tongue or that we say things that we shouldn't. You said we were going to offend people, God, even those of our own family, when we live for righteousness, God. But that's our call. We will offend people if we live like Jesus did. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're tired of living like the world. And you fear the world. You're afraid of what they might say or what they might do. Be afraid of what God might say and what God might do. For he said, I'll always be with you and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you're here this morning and we pray God's word is spoken to you even in this lesson about prayer at mealtimes. God can speak through anything and everything. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.